Welcome to Grain IQ. I'm Chad Moyer. Grain marketing is a critical piece in keeping your operation profitable. If you haven't listened to episodes one and two yet, we invite you to start there. On today's episode, we're exploring the domestic markets of the United States grain. In other words, how does the U.S. use the grain that is produced by our nation's farmers? Where does it go? Elaine Cub joins us today. She is a market analyst and author of Mastering the Grain Markets, How Profits Are Really Made. Elaine, thanks for joining us here today. We're going to talk about a few different things with you. Uh, but first of all, we need to get a little bit of background about you and kind of your experience with the grain markets. Been in it quite a while. Uh, what's kind of your experience following these grain markets? This is true. I, I just did the math the other day that I've been uh, analyzing these markets for the past 15 years. So um, ever since, you know, I got into it right when corn prices were getting hot, when there was the big ethanol push in late 2006, 2007. So it's always been exciting. Like I've always, um, you know, I didn't have those doldrum years where, you know, there was $2 corn and nobody cared about it. It's always been an exciting uh, topic throughout my career. And I started working as an analyst at DTN. I did some grain merchandising. I do a little farming up here on the family farm in South Dakota. And now I mostly do consulting work as a consulting economist. And I write a column for DTN. And I wrote a book called Mastering the Grain Markets. And so you see me around. You see me around on various media. And I still comment on these wild markets. Yeah, absolutely. And you've been in it long enough that you've seen a couple of pretty significant cycles in your career, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, th that was really hard, uh, as I mentioned, when I got into it, when prices were so hot. And it was difficult as a young idiot who didn't know anything about anything to like not get wrapped up in that excitement. But after you do see, and you know this, Chad, after you see the tendency of these markets to, they giveth and then they taketh away. I mean, you never tend to see these really high, strong prices for multiple years in a row for various reasons. I mean, that's just the nature of commodity markets. So with that in mind and with more experience and with a better a better mind to take advantage of people who have been in the markets even longer in their experience, you do get that sense that you can't just take things for granted from one year to the next. Yep, for sure. And that's why it's important to have a plan. And uh, I know a lot of people talk about that. You do in, in the work that you do as well. And that's what we're going to try and foster here on this uh, through this series of podcasts. Elaine, we spend a lot of time preparing for the crop. We grow the crop, we harvest it, and then we market it. But um, in the effort of our marketing, where is that grain going? That's an important concept to understand and kind of realize what's in play, wouldn't you say? Yeah, that's true for any business, right? You got to know your customers. You got to know your customers' customers. And if they're suffering, they're not going to be able to afford your stuff and they're not going to buy it. So it, it is, yeah, it's crucially important uh, in marketing, in grain marketing, to understand where it's going and, and how profitable it could be. So let's talk about the major crops, you know, corn, soybeans, wheat. They have domestic destinations and international destinations uh, for all three of those crops, right? Yes, and in various proportions. So um, we ship out a lot of our soybeans, for instance. I mean, you know, we're exporting 2 billion bushels of our soybeans out of a 4.4 billion bushel crop. So that's almost half. And some years it is half that we ship out of our country. So it's more for soybeans than it is for corn. Um, but yeah, our international customers and our international customers' customers are also important. 
We're going to break down grain usage into two episodes. Today, we will focus on domestic demand. Next week, we'll discuss international destinations. First of all, domestic uses. As far as corn goes, what are the, the major uses domestically of the corn that we raise here in the United States? Well, traditionally, it's been a feed, right? We feed it to livestock to make it taste better when it becomes meat, uh, rather than eating it ourselves. Um, but lately, you know, in the past 15 years or so, ethanol has become a bigger proportion of the usage categories for corn. But something that's sort of a subtlety in that is if, you know, we're using 6.7 billion bushels of our 15 billion bushel crop is going to go to an ethanol plant. But a lot of that's going to come back out into the feed market as DDGs. So there was this time when there was a concern, fuel versus food. You know, the, the average grocery shopper was concerned that the U.S. farmer was sending so much of its corn to the ethanol plants to be turned into gasoline and fuel for cars. And then that was going to take away the availability for food products that come from the corn and from the meat uh, that is comes from feeding the corn. And so in that time frame, when grocery prices were skyrocketing, which is happening again, people do become concerned about it, but they need to understand that, you know, something like 25 to 30% of the volume of the corn that goes into an ethanol plant comes back out, not the volume, but the weight of the corn that goes into an ethanol plant comes back out as livestock feed anyway. All right. So what part of the domestic corn usage is uh, is feed and how much goes to biofuels? What's the kind of the breakdown there? Well, it's it's slightly more to feed itself is 5.6 billion bushels and 5.3 billion bushels to ethanol. But once you take some of that ethanol, it's DDGs anyway, and put it back into feed, then it's it's mostly feed that's using up the corn. Okay, so we still haven't used all of the corn that we've produced. What are other ways that corn is used here in the United States? Uh, well, we export it, we put it in ethanol, we send it to feed, we turn it into sweeteners, corn syrup, uh, any sort of pop, high fructose corn syrup, corn starch. Some of it is white corn um, that is used for human food consumption itself, tortilla chips that we're going to have at the Super Bowl, anything like that. And isn't it fun to, and this is just kind of a sidebar too, you and I were talking about uh, all of the fun, interesting uses that people are finding uh, for corn here domestically, huh? Yeah, I, I really treasured, I had a mug once that was made out of corn plastic that I think, I'm pretty sure that that corn uh, starch or whatever the product was that created that plastic came from the, the ethanol plant at Blair. So right there in, in your neighborhood. And I think that you have some stories that you've covered about various corn uses. Like this, it's a magical crop, frankly, that we can grow something that is so productive and can be turned into, yeah, fuel to drive a car or feed for an animal or bizarre random things. So uh, that is the kind of the corn crop. What about soybeans? What's kind of the breakdown when we use soybeans here in the United States, Elaine? Well, let me pull up those numbers again, because I don't want to say things just off the top of my head. I'd probably get them wrong. But as I mentioned, we export a lot of soybeans. Um, Two billion bushels of soybeans goes to export and 2.1 billion bushels is crushed domestically. So that gets turned into soybean meal and soybean oil. All right, so let's talk about that, too, because those are two different destinations, even just within the, the soybean world, isn't it? Uh, the, the oil that comes off and the meal that comes off these same plants, right? 
Yeah, they're there. They are their own markets uh, that you can hedge directly soybean meal versus soybean oil. And it used to always be the case that soybean meal was the big one. That's the real purpose behind crushing soybeans is to get the soybean meal that then gets fed to hogs and poultry mostly. But just here in the past six months, I mean, since about October of 2021, soybean oil has started to become not necessarily the leader, but a much bigger part of the soybean crush. Now, the soybean crush, um, we take think about taking a bushel of soybeans, so 60 pounds of soybeans that's worth $15, let's say $15.50, and you can crush that in a plant and you can turn that into 48 pounds of meal and 11 pounds of soybean oil. And all of that together, you can sell for more than $18, let's say. So the margin of selling the products, the soybean meal and the soybean oil, gets you $2.5, let's say, for every bushel of soybeans that you crush. Now, like I mentioned, since about October, it's been 40% of that that's of that value, that crush value that's been coming from the oil, which is unusual. And the reason why is because the global edible oils market has gotten so hot lately, mostly led by Malaysian palm oil and Asian diets that are, you know, just their standard of living is increasing. And so they've become a bigger demander of edible oils to fry their food or just to prepare their food. And they're starting to prefer soybean oil even over Malaysian palm oil. So those prices sort of stick together and we're talking above 60 cents per pound for soybean oil, and it's starting to be a leader of the crush. Yeah, and what about this idea about renewable diesel and uh, sustainable aviation fuel? As we are recording this, th that is really an emerging market that has got a lot of people excited, wouldn't you say, Elaine? It is exciting, and you're right. That's another big driver of the oil versus the meal crush part of this. Um, the thing that gives me the most optimism about the biodiesel or the the alternative fuels that you mentioned is you know we think about the u.s consumer and the possibility that everybody's going to start moving towards these electric cars well maybe 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 that's true and maybe we will start to sort of plateau our per capita usage of gasoline but i don't think that's ever going to be the case for diesel or for aviation fuel either i mean you think about the life cycle or the lifespan of a diesel engine in a tractor or in a semi or the life cycle of an engine in an airplane those last for a long time, probably our life. If you buy a tractor today, I think you hope and expect that diesel engine to last through the rest of your lifetime. They're not going to suddenly go away and be replaced by electric engines. So the sustainability or the, the lasting power of that, that diesel market and the biodiesel market is, it gives, I think this market a lot of optimism. So that's the big picture on the domestic market for corn and soybeans. Next up is wheat. But exploring the domestic markets for wheat and other small grains isn't so simple because there's a lot of small grains and a lot of different uses for them. The domestic uses of the wheat, it depends on what kind of wheat we're talking about, right? If it's um, if it's Durham wheat, which is a, a specialty hard red spring wheat that's grown mostly in North Dakota and some in Montana here in the United States and obviously up in Canada too, Basically, all of that is destined to become pasta because it is such a high value specialty crop or there's white wheat. Same story. That's going to go to specialty um, human food uh, production. But some of these other wheat varieties, the soft red winter wheat, the hard red winter wheat, those have some potential to be switched over into feed usage. So in that sense, those markets can behave almost like corn on some in some time frames, they have more of a substitute relationship with the feed markets. And in other times, they have more of a substitute relationship with the global milling wheat market. So how much the, the global market is um, 
dependent on on the price of wheat and and that's very inelastic in economic terms the human diet that we have developed not just in the west but across the globe for the cereal grains for wheat and rice you know on every given meal you may or may not have a steak but you're always going to have some kind of cereal carbohydrate almost always everywhere in the, in the world so it's very inelastic the demand for wheat the global demand for for milling wheat and we do see that from one year in in and out well, specifically for the Kansas City wheat uh, that, that is grown, like you say, across the plains, what are kind of the main destinations for that wheat, Elaine? Well, uh, milling houses across Kansas and, and even into Chicago, people will mill that into flour and the, the livestock feed market. Sometimes you'll see that even headed west to uh, um, livestock feeding operations far west as Colorado, California, down into Mexico. Elaine, in your 15 years of experience, what has surprised you or maybe fascinated you about how we use grains here in the U.S.? Well, the big change, of course, that I've noticed is the push for ethanol and the, and the usage and biodiesel and the usage of fuel. It hasn't been a surprise just because, as I mentioned, that's when I got started in this industry is right when the ethanol boom was really uh, getting hot. And so that was the expectation that we would continue to see this growth and the growth. You know, we don't still see new ethanol plants breaking ground every two months as the way that we did back in 2007. But we see it as, as a significant portion of the usage categories. And we are still seeing new ground being broken on soybean plants right in david city there's a new soybean plant going up so so the tendency of this market to try and keep that production capacity here domestically and have the value added here in the united states rather than shipping them out as exports but keeping them here and using the the crush products domestically that's that's been a nice development for the u.s farmer yeah. And uh, again, it's maybe not so much about the topic, but it is kind of a nice uh, uh, little side trip here. The beginnings of this new biodiesel boom, because you mentioned uh, David City, Nebraska. You There's uh, an announcement for one in Norfolk, Nebraska. But all of the majors, ADM, CHS, they're either putting up a new plant or expanding the ones that they have. Uh, you know, there must be something to this that uh, the, these people, these companies are expecting big things to happen, wouldn't you say? Yeah, well, we kind of walked through that crush math. I mean, you can get the sense if you're going to make more than two bucks on every bushel of soybeans that you buy, yeah, let's do it, right? Elaine Cub is a market analyst and the author of Mastering the Grain Markets, How Profits Are Really Made. Join us on next week's episode as we take this topic one step further and dive into international grain destinations. Until then, I'm Chad Moyer, and this is Grain IQ. Grain IQ is a production of the Nebraska Rural Radio Association with support from the Nebraska Soybean Board. It is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. Grain IQ is hosted by Chad Moyer and produced by Rebel Saklocha. It is written and edited by Alex Wojcicki. Our project manager is Bryce Duskett. You can listen to Grain IQ on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or online at ruralradionetwork.com.